Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Virginia Diagon is a woman of many talents, journalist, broadcaster, editor and TV scriptwriter. And now she can add being on Published or Not. Oh, wow. What a thrill. <laughs> Welcome, Virginia. Thank you very much for having me here. Now, Virginia's book is called The Age of Discretion. But before we talk about age, let's discuss discretion a bit. Virginia, what do you see as the difference between secrets and discretion. They're obviously very closely linked, but I think secrets are things that are never told. Discretion or discreet things are things that you tailor the way you tell. So that um you you're you're perhaps very careful, you're perhaps more measured, but with a secret that is uh, it's sacrosanct to me. You know, you keep a secret, but you don't keep a discretion. You, mm, you're careful with the way you disclose a discretion. Something. Your got. main character is Vivian Quarry. She goes to a company called Dis- a Discretion Agency. What does the company do? The Discretion Agency is based on uh, an actual agency that I read about and heard about uh, because a friend of mine in London went to it. Um, It's an agency designed for people who, well, as in Vivian Quarry's case, she's in a long-term marriage, uh, but it has come to a physical halt, if we Mm -hmm. can put it like that. Um, And she's not happy. She is 67, but she still wants... Um, she wants romance uh, in her life and she's not prepared to, um, as her husband appears to be, not to have it. And she goes to this agency which is set up for people in a comparable position. So they're people maybe who have uh, a relationship but it's not meeting their needs, as they say. And she is then introduced to some men who are in comparable positions. Right. Now, this is this agency is set up by Martin Glover and his wife. and But they do diff- things differently to Tinder or any of the other agencies? Yes, it's very different from that. Because Martin Glover, who runs the agency, um, an interesting figure, but he interviews at some length everybody who signs on with the agency. You pay a not-too-small not no. fee, mm. um, and he... He he interviews you, finds out what who who you are, what um, something about you, what you're interested in, what the, uh, and and then sorts out possible introductions for you based on this right. long interview. And of course, there's no photos. It's there, all done. There are no there, photos. No, all done by interview. So when you meet your your interv- uh, the person that you're being introduced to, this is the first time you've set eyes on them. Now uh, this we mentioned this. Uh, Vivian Quarry wants to do this because uh, she hasn't had sex with her husband for two years. No. But there's a line that her husband has said to her. Can you quote it off by heart? Yes. Now, this is her, her husband would not discuss the, um, the lack of sex in their life at all. He just would not. Um, and finally, when she brings it up yet again, uh, he comes out with a sentence 
Men are hardwired not to find older women attractive. Oh, yes. I can feel people's bristles coming up right now. And that's mm-hmm. on page th- three. It's the first page of the book on a chapter called Sentence. And it's the quite sentence. a sentence. It's quite a sentence. It's a sentence that once it is said, it's a kind of thing that can never be unsaid. Mm. It's there. You can't take it back. You can't forget about it. And it sets Vivian off on a, um, on a quest, I suppose, to test the truth or otherwise of this statement. And she thinks to herself, is it just her husband who has this view or is it all men? Is it some men? Mm. Up until then, you know, she's got a pretty confident. She's she's happy within her her skin. As she you is. Say. And this one, another quote from uh, Vivian Duggan's book, "The Age of Discretion." It was a body blow of mon- monumental and unpredictable proportion to her. So, as you say, she sets off to the discretion agency, but it's remember it's not a secret. So she does tell her friends and her mother about she, it. She eventually tells her mother. But her mother's I must not say, shocked. Jan, that her mother is a very unconventional kind of woman. Mm. Her mother is now ninety one, but she's always been quite a quite a character, shall we say. Well, the only uh, affair her um, mother did not tell her her father about was the one that led to, her, father. led to her divorce and she yes. married that guy. So no, she really thinks uh, sex, she says, go for it. Go Vivi, for it. Vivi, in fact, let's hear what her words were. Her mother is a very free spirit uh, and she she's concerned about Vivian getting her full quota of sex and it should be very good free. sex. And she says to Vivian at one point, what you really need now, Vivi, is a type of man who is capable of boosting a woman's immune system. Absolutely. Good on her. <laughs> now, Vivian's best friend is Julia Jeffries, whose professional life is another deception. What she, does she is do? an internationally famous opera singer. I mean, she's uh, famous of the order of Joan Sutherland, say. Mm. Uh, she's Australian. Mm. The book is set in England. But Julia is Australian and she's had an incredibly successful career. She's now approaching 70. She put her age back. Mm. Uh, So she's officially 67, the same age as Vivian. But in fact, as Vivian knows, she's nearly 70. But nobody else does know this. Um, And So so why is is age relevant to her? (laughs) Age is very relevant to Julia. It's relevant actually to a number of people Mm. in the book. Um, probably all of them to some extent. But um, Julia, at approaching 70, is getting to the end of her career. She's worried that, uh, you know, opera singers do not go on into perpetuity, unlike, say, directors, as she says, uh, or actors, they can go on. But singers, ultimately, their, their voice will start to fail them. And she thinks at the beginning of the book that she might have reached this point. She sung her swan song at the Sydney Opera House. She went to the Opera House. She, she sang um, a role and she had the feeling that everybody in the audience thought this might be her farewell performance. So uh, she's, she's been offered a new role. She gets a and new is offer. it going to be artistic suicide? <laughs> well, it's, um, it's a role of, a, of someone called the old countess. So she's playing mm. some, a woman who's in fact 
considerably older than Julia is herself. Mm. Uh, and she's never played a role like that. It's quite difficult. She's encouraged work. by the very young, enthusiastic director and she wonders, is he flirting or is it all part of the mirage of putting a show together? Yes. So that's, that's we'll, we might leave Julia there for a set. Now, each time Vivian meets a fellow, she tells her quilting friend Joy. Oh, Joy's a bit of fun, isn't she? <laughs> Joy, yes, Joy is from originally from um, South, uh, no, from Battle Rouge, Louisiana. Yes, um, and she's, she's got- a, a black woman who's a great friend of um, of Vivian's. She she runs the quilting. Um, Circle, which Vivian goes to, but she's also um, a professional colleague of Viv's in the past. Yeah, so uh, but she's she's she thinks the security guard would be useful to live in the house with all of these single women. She lives, <laughs> yes. She's, she's a landlord. She's a landlady. And Joy, among uh, many other things that she is, she could be a bit deceptive about his uses too and about his preferences. So, the men Vivian meets. Each have a deception too, whether it's a false name or false hair. But none of them are worried about her age. She has to confront what she actually wants from these men too, which is a problem for her. Well, yes, because she knows and they know that that they are both there for a particular purpose. Uh, Nobody is hiding that really. And she doesn't Uh, want a divorce, does she? She doesn't, no. No, because uh, she's got a daughter who's... She has a daughter who is um, approaching her 39th birthday yeah. and she has her own uh, existential problems at this point. You know, she, well, she would love to have a baby. Well, she's been deceptive because she didn't tell Marco... No, she had a, long, a that, longish that term she, boyfriend. ...that she went off the pill. She went off the pill, didn't and then, tell him. And, and, she, and he was deceptive And about... then only to discover <laughs> that he had um, he'd had... Uh, a vasectomy in the past and had never revealed this to her. And now she has Adrian. And I think we must not I tell think too much about this. Deception personified, I think. And the only other male who I think there's more deception going on than we than we know about is Max. Julie? Yes, no, we cannot go into no, this we're very not far, going, actually, I Jane, know, we're not, because these are Max extremely important hot points that oh. I'd rather the reader discovered. But Max is, he's himself. divorcing, he's 70, Yes, and the reason? To give himself a chance to rock before rot this, sets in. <laughs> this, by the way, is not Max's, um, Max's view, it's Julia's is, view, his sister's his, view. Of, yeah, yes, this is why she Julia has never liked her sister-in-law um, and has never believed that um, Max and um, Patricia's sister-in-law's marriage was a happy one. So she is pleased um, that the divorce appears to be happening and this is at the beginning of the yeah. book. Um, Vivian and you share a past profession. Yes, now um, Vivian was in publishing. She was a publishing editor, so she met um, authors and uh, she, that's how she actually met her friend Joy, who um, walked in off the street to this quite small publisher. Uh, and Joy had under her arm um, a sheaf of um, pictures, a picture book, children's picture book about animals. Now, this is not how, normally how 
one gets no, books published at all. unsolicited manuscripts just walking yes. in off the street. Walking in off the street. But Vivian happened to be in the office. She saw Joy. Nobody else was there at the time. It was lunchtime. She uh, she had a look at Joy's um, sheaf of of pictures and and script, she, and she, she ended, liked it. She ended up and becoming Joy. an editor, and <laughs> and Joy's um, Joy's picture books became extremely successful. So Joy is a successful children's um, picture book writer. Well, and here you are, Virginia dear Dargan, turned yourself into a, a, a romantic novelist. <laughs> Romantic novelist <laughs> is interesting. Uh, yes, I suppose. Well, this, in a way, this um, this turned out to be in a way that uh, wasn't predictable to me at all. Um, into a, some sort of love story, a rather, I suppose, unconventional one, but um, it did. And uh, it's not something that I've written before no. at all. Anything like that. So uh, it and was it turned into a particularly good read. And I think there will be a lot of. Oh, middle-aged women out there who will be just, just still prickling at that sentence. And a man is hardwired to not find older women attractive. Oh, does sex appeal come with a use-by date? Virginia uh, Dagen had a, has a happily married wife testing this sentence in The Age of Discretion, published by Ventura. Thank you, Virginia. Thank now, you very much, Jan. I was wondering how I would segue from that book to the one I have, but in some ways you had to be adult to appreciate Virginia's book, and in another way you have to be an adult to appreciate the book I have today, but it's a children's book. We'll explain some of that but uh, as we go, but Jan, what can you recollect of the 60s? Oh, so much, so much. Hopscotch on the street. Hopscotch on the street? Well, that's another one. Well... Anna Kidor, in her children's novel, 52 Mondays, takes us back to what now seems a totally different world and a different culture. So, Anna, welcome to 3CR. Thank you, David. I'm so thrilled to be here. Now, the main character in this book is another, Anna. It's the same one in some ways, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, really, as an author, whenever you invent a main character, you do use little bits of yourself in the book. But this time I've actually given her my name and I am using lots of my own memories to build so this character. So it's based on actual events that, that happened it and is, recollections. Is. Yes, yes, yes. Embroidered and fictionalised, especially my, you know, my sister's characters. I really um, I had to get their permission to turn them into these hilarious characters in the story but um it, yes i had a lot of fun with using my own memories and then embroidering them and we'll, we'll get onto those memories in a minute and we might actually bring in some of the other people in the studio to talk about it but there's a very basic storyline that holds this novel together Anna's after something in particular. That's right. Well, I started just with the world of the 1960s. I, I'm a, a strange author where I like to start with a world first and then build the plot out of that. So I started with my memories of the 1960s and all the funny things that happened. And then as I was remembering back, I thought of an, an, a quest that I went on as a child. I read a book called Hitty that was about the life and adventures of an antique wooden doll. And I was an avid reader, and it was much too hard for me to understand at the time I read it. But I, out of every couple of words that I could understand, I, I, I 
got involved with this story of this doll and I got entranced by the idea of a doll that had a whole history. And so that book owned. actually exists, the yes, one you mentioned, yes, right? it's a real, Yes, it's a real story, okay. yes. Um, and it has just uh, gone out of copyright this year. <laughs> so it's been around for a while. And I... That book inspired me to want a doll myself, not not one of the plastic dolls that was around in the 60s, but this doll that had a history attached to her. So I said to my mother, oh, you know, could, is there some way I could get an antique doll? And so we set out on this quest in a day before you couldn't just Google and find things on the internet. We had to somehow go and find this doll. And eventually we decided to go to an auction place, Angels, which still exists not far from here. And we went every – the reason the book is called 52 Mondays Monday. is because Monday was viewing day. Nowadays, you get online and you look what's going to be auctioned the next day. But we couldn't do that then. So every Monday, mummy would pack me and my sisters in the car and we'd traipse off to this auction house after school and we would hunt. And there was – and this actually became a lovely – Adventure in itself, that 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 weekly hunt through all these old things and but digging around. But that speaks to a, a totally different approach, as you say. You can look online and order something, but that notion of a hunt, that need for patience, all of those sorts of things uh, that you had to have that the the personal qualities you had to have to persist with that. Absolutely. And the book is 52 Mondays. So it's a whole year of this persistence. And that has seen me through life. I've, you know, I've, I've always been this sort of a person um, that has this persistence. That's how I became an author, I think, because I was prepared to be, got to be persistent. persistent. Yes, but yes. Would, would children do that today? Would they have that sort of patience, oh, do you think? I can't imagine it. Not most of them. Yes. And also then, what is it about an antique doll? Yes, Everything about the past intrigued me when I was little, um, you know, and, and when we first went into, as I say, you know, this auction place and saw the, it, every little old thing there had a past as well. It wasn't just dolls, but everything had this past and that just intrigued me and always has. And, and a character. Mm, it, mm. It's got something, um, a feel about it and, and a life and a presence about yeah, it that yeah, you don't get. Yeah. But here's the go. In all of these chapters, you bring up something, and it's where I think I might bring in some of the other people here. You, each chapter basically brings out an aspect of the past. And as an adult reader, I'm thinking, hang on a minute, I remember that. Uh, transistor radios. Anybody remember? Oh, yes. Lying on the beach listening to the cricket. And, and the old, um, what were they? Um, you had a, a hair... Um, sort of, you could make your own transistor radio. Oh, the crystal radio. Crystal, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, and those sorts that, of things. Um, now, anyone ever been in a sack race? Yes. But what sort of sack did you use? Potato. A potato sack. I was thinking of the old briquette sacks oh, as well. Dirty. We don't see yeah. them. But this is the thing about the past. It was dirty, yeah, surely. Yeah. And, and you're rolling up to sports day with our own sack that our mother had gone and got from the green grocer. Grocer. That's a word you don't use now, green grocer. And our hard-boiled egg for the egg, egg and, and spoon, spoon race. race. Yes. Do they still have egg and spoon races at schools? Well, apparently, yes, because when I've spoken at schools about 52 Mondays, the children assure me that they still have... Egg and spoon races, but they do use you know bean bags or, or you know, wooden eggs or, or plastic eggs. Now they don't use hard boiled eggs. Um, now here's here's one milk. <laughs> oh, can you remember no coming puzzles. in a bottle and, oh, yes. and and at school being delivered at school and it'd be hot and sweet. Oh. But were you ever a milk monitor? Oh, 
never. That, you that weren't good enough. The boys. Oh, <laughs> re- well, they had to carry the the crates oh, of yeah. milk around. But magpies and milk bottles. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, it, well, in in, in Fifty Two Mondays, the chapter near the beginning of the story, where you know we're having a breakfast scene, and Daddy goes out the door to get the bottles of milk off the doorstep, and you know I sort of say that you know, every morning he tried to get the milk before the birds did, but he never could because the birds would swoop down and peck through the foil lids on the glass bottles and suck out the the cream from the top of the milk and then mummy would pour the top of the cream off. We never got to have nice creamy milk because, of course, it wasn't homogenised milk, was it? It was the milk floating to the top of the milk bottle. But how was the milk delivered? In fact, that whole notion of delivery is anathema to what we have today. Um, The horse and the the old Clydesdales going down the street, whose father went out uh, of a morning with a brush and shovel to pick up the manure for the garden. So you, this insight, well, insight or just recollection of how things were done in the past, it, it almost speaks to a culture that's disappeared. Well, the more I wrote 52 Mondays, the more I realised how many things had changed, that, that, that almost nothing was the same. I, was, I tested it on my granddaughter, who was just the right age to read it to as I was writing it. And I just started reading about lunch at school and, you know, the things that I had in my lunchbox. And I said, you know, we had some almonds and I had some dried apricots. And she said, nuts? You had nuts in your lunch? (laughs) And I said, yes. (laughs) And she said, well, we're not allowed to have nuts in our lunch. Just a basic thing like that. Anaphylaxis. There are schools that forbid you to bring nuts, peanut butter, all of these sorts of things into school. Um, Here's another one. Connie's. What's a Connie? (laughs) <laughs> on, on a tram. On a tram. Oh, yeah, you, yes. you knew. Oh, yes. But how, how, if you ask somebody today that, a, a young person. Well, I've got to ask, would this book be better read by a grandmother <laughs> to a child? <laughs> Look, I'm finding that the, the children are loving reading it themselves, but also even the parents are enjoying reading it to the children too. It's it's really it's well, gone to all and and even boys, which astonished me. That I thought a book about dolls would be okay. That's a girly book, um, but astoundingly, I've when I'm going into schools, the boys are also buying the books. They, you know, they they're queuing up to buy the books as well, which I think is what which is a nice reflection of modern society that would not have happened in the sixties, I don't think. But that that is something that modern boys can feel that they can do. But what's the reaction from the the kids in terms of the references you're making to how things were done in the past? Well, interestingly, some of the things that I thought were extinct are not, which is rather nice. For example, um, in one chapter in 52 Mondays, I've put in a scene where the children want to run under the sprinklers in the garden. And I thought that would not happen anymore. And when, I'm, when I've read that chapter in schools and I've mentioned that to the children, they say, oh, no, 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 we still run under the sprinklers. And I thought, oh, good. That's not something that's got lost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. Particularly Australian, running under the sprinkler and sliding down plastic and all of those sorts of things. It all depends whether there's water restrictions uh, or not. True. Well, that's, that's why I thought it would have gone. And, and I think it was banned a few years ago, but, but it seems luckily yeah. seems to have come back again. The other aspect, and when I think back, to my childhood in the 60s, um, we were totally unaware. You've got a Jewish background and this whole notion of Judaism. I don't think I would have ever encountered somebody of the Jewish faith at that time. Yes, well, I've got a little bit of reference of that in 52 Mondays because that was a significant part of being a child in a school where there were not many... No, I don't, don't. wasn't aware of anyone else with with a different background from the main bulk of children. Uh, you know, so being Jewish and, and having parents from a European background were both set me apart. 
and I have a little scene when it's we're getting up to Easter and we're painting, decorating the classroom. And I sort of mentioned to the children who were chatting about their Easter eggs, oh, well, we don't have Easter eggs because we're Jewish. And the and this happened, This is based on something that really happened to me. The children in the class turned around to me and they said, "Oh, yeah, you, you're just you're just saying that to you know to show off. You know, you you can't really be Jewish. You know, that girl over there, she's Jewish, and she was a girl who was um who, who couldn't see properly. Um, and she was that to them, Jewish was just meant something weird and strange. Mm. So the only girl in the class who could be classified as different." Maybe she could be Jewish, but somebody who seemed normal, I don't know how I ever got away as being seeming normal, but anyway, <laughs> they thought I was quite normal. And, and yeah, so that to them, Jewish meant something strange and weird and different. But that speaks to our ignorance and, and our lack of exposure. I mean, I had a, a Protestant upbringing, and of course, um, the Catholics were in different schools, and that was the, the basic divide of my childhood, really. So, but yes, it, it then speaks to um, the origins of your family, which you sort of hint at in yes. the opening. Yes, well, what happened was the, the inspiration for this book came from re- writing my last book. I've written many, many, many stories, all based on, just about all based on different historical periods, because I have this fascination with the past. And the one that I wrote before 52 Mondays was called The Family with Two Front Doors, and it was based on my grandmother's childhood in Lublin in Poland in the 1920s. So it's not a Holocaust book. It's a Jewish story that's not a Holocaust story. It's about the happy life of this family um, so long ago. Um, and it's, so there is a link. Lots of people were asking for a sequel to that one, The Family with Two Front Doors, but the sequel has ended up being 40 years later when the little girl who was my grandmother, she was just a little 10-year-old girl, Naomi, in the family with two front doors, is now the grandmother in 52 Monday. So there's a little prologue where this grandmother, Nana Naomi, is looking back as she's making chicken soup for her, of course, you know, <laughs> the traditional Jewish grandmother. She's making chicken soup for her granddaughter's who are about to arrive and she's remembering back to having to pluck the chickens and all those old-fashioned things in her family in the past. But that's the, na- the little link. The naivety of my childhood and the 60s not being aware, Are they? do you find that children are less naive now given that there's access to a lot more information? How do you find them when you go into schools to talk uh, about the book? Look, there's often one child who will very proudly put a hand up or his hand up and say, you know, I've, I've got a Jewish father or something like that. But but there's still large um, groups of the community that, not just Judaism, but I'm sure there are well, other religions and other cultures that even though we have a really multicultural Australia and some some schools that I visit, you know, have, have wonderful multicultural mixes of people. Um, but there are there are still pockets where you know there there would be people who children who haven't been exposed to many other cultures and religions yeah so it's it's fascinating whether they're sort of able to uh, well the tolerance the acceptance the uh, awareness children you know sort of live in their own little domains but building that awareness which is basically what in many ways 52 mondays does but it gives us an awareness awareness of our own past or the parents past which makes it fascinating as an adult reading it i'm thinking oh my goodness i i can remember all of these things takes me back so i've been speaking to anna kidor the book is 52 mondays and it was an alan an unwin release jan well my awareness was dating services i wasn't quite aware what oh, many, on which, which ones did you use jan <laughs> Only read about them in uh, Virginia Deegan's The Age of Discretion. 